welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest is very heavy in the cybersecurity space. Today, I have Scott Blow. Scott is a seasoned physical, cyber, and international security professional. He's a principal cybersecurity consultant. Previously, he served the CISO and executive director of the Center for Cyber Defense and Forensics at Tiffin University. He serves on NATO's combined joint operations for the C Center of Excellence's Maritime Security Information Sharing Working Group, chairs the Ohio Cyber Collaboration Committee's Governance Subcommittee, and is the CTO for Ohio Cyber Women. He has conducted presentations for NATO's combined joint operations for the C Center of Excellence, DHS Centers of Excellence, USCG, Academia, and Industry. Whew, Scott, you got, and that is not even all of it. But Scott, I am so thankful and so lucky to have met you. And I want to thank you for being on this podcast with me. Oh, likewise, Angel. I'm certainly lucky to have met you. Uh, you certainly helped me get my new job at Mandiant. So I uh, <laughs> definitely appreciate that. Um, made the transition easy out of academia. So Yes. And I want to talk about, and you have been still to this day, one of my favorite clients I've worked with. You're wildly fascinating. You could see my voice when we, or my face when we did your resume, but I was just jaw dropped the whole time. So I want to start with just a quick background on you. How did you get to cybersecurity? What's that look like for you? So it was kind of a long journey. Um, I've always been into technology. Um, even in high school, I did quite a bit of technology stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, we were using like the Apple II E's and C's, so I'm pretty old. Um, but, uh, you know, think monochrome screens and big, big, heavy, heavy monitors. Right. But yeah, so I, I like doing that stuff. And I went to college for a couple of years and I blew my ankle out and had to leave. Couldn't afford it. Um, so I came home and went to uh, school to become a police officer. Right. Uh, yeah. So I started in law enforcement um, in 1991. And I'll say I left law enforcement in 2000, but I'm still a sworn peace officer in the state of Ohio. I, I'm a oh. special deputy for one of my best friends is the sheriff of Marion County, so I help him if he ever, you know, has any questions or needs help on any technology issues or whatever. Right. You know, so police technology has kind of grown quite a bit over the, you know, past uh, 30, 40 years. So I was kind of central, had a front row seat, I guess, to that. Right. Obviously, as a cop, I'm doing, you know, physical security. Um, I'm doing investigations. You know, I'm interviewing people and all that kind of stuff. So to me, I think that's one of the best backgrounds you can have to get into cybersecurity. Absolutely. You know, you have that, we call it a security mindset. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that, you know, your physical perimeter is secured. And you also want to watch behaviors of people, you know, inside the organization to, you know, see if anybody's doing anything they shouldn't be doing, that kind of thing. And the other big piece I think that I, I learned there was policy and procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, writing policies and procedures in a law enforcement agency, you know, you're dealing with court decisions, legal opinions, um, the law. So you have to be pretty on point. So I was able to participate in our uh, accreditation process when we first became accredited in like 1994. Jeez. And yeah, so that's how, yeah, I'm pretty old, but um, (laughs) so I was able to do that. um, And we were one of the probably one or 200 agencies out of 14,000 that were accredited. Um, So that was fun. Uh, One of my mentors worked with me there and I still stay in touch with him today. Mm -hmm. The other part was doing some forensic investigations. Um, I say I was able to do forensics before we had those pesky rules that, um, you know, you had to make a copy of the of the hard drive. I, I can remember sitting on the stand and going through the hard drive or going through the computer, the actual computer with uh, with the judge and showing the mm-hmm. judge where things were. So, you know, that's not allowed now, but that's probably a good thing. So um, <laughs> that's good stuff. And then 
The other part of it, I think, that sort of got me set up well was the Ohio Criminal Justice Information Systems Group. So I was a part of that group. And basically, that group worked with the national group, uh, the National Incident-Based Reporting System. And we were working on a specific um, software called the Ohio Incident-Based Reporting System, or OIBRS. Mm-hmm. Nationally, it's uh, was done through the FBI, and basically, what they were trying to do was standardize uh, law enforcement reporting throughout the nation, so that they could better okay. track crime and all that kind of stuff. So, um, that's kind of where I learned about data standards, data integrity, and all that kind of stuff. So, I was able to implement the OIBRS program at the police department in Marion and manage the servers, and you know, we ended up putting in mobile data terminals in the cars, and we were one of the first uh, organizations in Ohio to do that. So that was pretty cool. So I think. That experience, and I'm always been, I've always been an innovator. Um, mm-hmm. I like to solve problems. Sometimes I try to solve too many problems at once, but uh, you know, that's just just my nature. So, so I think that, yeah, I think those kind of things really set me up for success. You know, kind of in the field. So I want to talk about kind of career transition because we have a lot of clients that come from, and yours wasn't necessarily the 20 years, but are retiring from being a police officer, a sergeant, whatever that looks like, and now considering what's that next step in their career. And you're someone who you have, I swear, 5 million certifications. You're just, you're truly someone that is a lifelong learner and trying to better yourself. So where did that decision come into play of, okay, I want to do cybersecurity. Was it more, you know, mess around, see what kind of comes out of this? Or what was that kind of transition like for you? Um, So interestingly, the cybersecurity stuff actually started when I was a cop as well. Uh, There were a couple of books Mm -hmm. that I knew. um, I still know them. One was, worked at Ohio State, and the other, I think, was uh, Worthington police officer, maybe. Okay. And we were in like 96-ish, I think, mm-hmm. talking about the importance of, you know, data security and information security. We almost started a information security company. Um, had I done that, then I would probably, you know, be on some island somewhere retired. But, uh, <laughs> right. you know. um, yeah, so we, we were actually looking at that Wow. back then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, some things changed or whatever, you know, and we didn't quite get to do that. But um, so, yeah, that was one of the other key things. Um, as far as transitioning and what made me want to be a lifelong learner, I'm just curious by nature. Mm-hmm. I like to, you know, somebody gives me a problem and I, I go figure it out, right? If I don't know how to do it, I'm pretty sure I can probably figure it out or I know someone that can kind of help me figure it out. You know, it started, it wasn't that important in the beginning um, to have certifications because there weren't that many around. Right. And depending on who you ask now, um, there are people that are very much against certifications. There are people that are very much for them. But as you know, it's a way to get in the door in that uh, resume. You know, when they sort out the resumes automatically, if you don't have a specific certification you're looking for, you're going to get dropped. Right. One of the biggest challenges, I think, was turning the uh, sort of experience that I had that's pretty diverse. And, you know, I think you were instrumental in helping to hone that down to the (laughs) that needed to be made for cybersecurity. So. yeah, lifelong learning is important. The other thing that I think is often overlooked is is relationships and networking. Yes. And I tell my kids this. I used to tell my students this all the time. You know, I said, make friends and people actually want to help you. So, you know, if you ask someone for help, more often than not, they're going to go out of their way to help you. Right. I mean, there are some exceptions if you're a jerk and, you know, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, see, I'm, I feel bad. Well, I don't feel bad, but I'm the kind of guy that even if I don't like you and you fell, you know, down in the street, I'd come over and help you up and make sure you were okay. Um, I guess that's kind of a good thing, I guess. But so I end up a lot of times helping people that maybe don't deserve the help. But mm-hmm. Anyway, um, right. But yeah. So you want to keep those relationships and 
I think it's who was the uh, guy that said the principle of five. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! You're testing me. Yes, I always say like the Kevin Bacon seven degrees of separation. That's my own. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Okay, seven, seven. Yes, yeah. I, I shorted Kevin Bacon too. I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> um, so you would be surprised who the people you know um, right. if you ask the right questions who they know. And a lot of times, most of the hiring is done based off of relationships. You know, it's very. I don't know. You would know the stats better than I do, but I know in in my field. You know, I used to get called when I was the ran the cybersecurity program at Tiffin by Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies saying, "Hey, Scott, who do you have that's ready to you know come on board?" And you know, I would give them three or four names, and most of the kids that I was teaching were gone before the May graduation. They were already hired and making more money than I was. Right. So that was really cool. So you know, the transition thing it's it's something about you know you got to be passionate about it too. For sure. If you're in law enforcement and you like the physical security stuff you know, then there's often routes to go with that as well. If you like a little bit more technical investigation stuff, um, which I did, I did a lot of financial fraud investigations. I've investigated tens of millions of dollars worth of financial fraud too. So those getting down to the, that level of detail, you know, then you're probably a decent fit for cybersecurity. And it, as a cop now, you're doing something in forensics, mm-hmm. you know, in the field in general, and most likely in digital forensics, um, because every... Every crime now has a digital footprint. It does. Yeah, it's very important to understand that. So it depends on the level of investment you want to make in yourself as well. Right. The big thing that people always say is, well, I'm not smart enough to do that. And I always, I say something, but in this podcast, I'll say hogwash. Um, you they, can say whatever are, you want, Scott. I, think, I told you that. Well, yeah, I mean, they, bullshit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, bullshit. Right. So, you know, have some confidence. And right. um, if you're a problem solver, which most cops are, you can do that. Mm-hmm. You can do this with no problem at all. Um, you don't have to be a computer programmer. That's a fallacy. Right. And the security, a lot of people, you know, will tell you that, and that's not true at all. You don't need to take three levels of calculus or four levels of physics and get a computer engineering degree. If you have a security mindset, as, as we say, and can look at risk and quantify risk and, you know, figure out how to mitigate that, then you're good to go. Right. I want to go back to the point of keeping those connections and networking to get you to where you want to be. Cause that's something I feel like is never going to change. It's only going to increase as I feel eventually we won't ever have resumes like the paper resume. I feel like it will eventually turn into networking or who, you know, and that's going to be increased. So coming from a, I'll say an untraditional background. Cause I feel like people have the connotation, like if you're in sales, if you're in marketing, yeah, of course you should have all these connections cause that's your job. But how do you kind of, nurture these relationships or how did you get to this point where people call upon you to say, Hey, Scott, who do you want us to hire? And we'll hire them. Like just trust your opinion 100%. So two words, be nice. <laughs> Easy Honestly, I mean, it is, it's, you know, be nice, be helpful. If you meet someone, um, you know, try to make a personal connection with them. Mm-hmm. And then if they need help with something and you have time to help them or, you know, someone that can, then you, you know, you refer them to that person or you, you know, kind of help them yourself. Um, and the other part of that, I think, that really worked for me was kind of going above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak. Sure. So even when I started at the police department as a rookie, one of my first assignments was go clean out this closet. Okay, that's, you know, that's cool. So, you know, I cleaned out the closet and, you know, it was spotless. And then I went back and said, okay, I'm done. Now, what do you want me to do? And they were like, well, you're done already? And I'm like, yeah. So they went and looked and they go, wow, you did a good job. Well, let's do this now. So yeah, do a good job, go above and beyond. And that goes with your colleagues and you know the folks that you you meet on the street or in meetings, things like that. 
be nice, get to know people and then, you know, kind of see where they fit in. Um, you know, you're not going to like everybody. Oh, of course not. You don't have to. And not everybody's going to like you and that's okay too. Right. And the other thing, I, this took me a while to learn, but um, typically if someone doesn't like you, it's not your issue, it's their issue. Yes. Some unknown reason. And that's okay. Um, so just kind of move on. Don't waste time trying to make someone like you. Right. That's a time waster. So that whole be nice thing, go above and beyond the call of duty, especially like if you can get involved in the kind of volunteer work. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in cybersecurity and you know you have some ideas about what you want to do, then get a hold of here in Ohio, we have the Ohio Cyber Reserve and they do some mentoring stuff. So you could get a hold of one of those folks or you know somebody you know probably knows someone in cybersecurity. Um, so you can chat with them and there are other ways to get involved, like um, go to a not-for-profit and try to help them with their, you know, their security, even if it's physical security, because all that stuff looks good and it kind of builds your resume up. So Awesome. And then you continue to make those contacts. Right. And that's where I feel like that's slept on a lot of just because you're volunteering or doing something for free doesn't mean it's not valuable because you never know. I mean, you could be one person away or I've made some of the best connections or revenue generating pieces from people I met at volunteer events or just sitting with at a bar or just anywhere. I mean, your possibilities are endless. You never know who you're sitting next to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm a curious person by nature and I like to talk yes. to people. So, you know, that that works out for me. My friends always laugh. They're like, you're probably the person I would hate to sit next to on a plane. I'm like, rude, but I've made some good friends that way. So that's right. You and I'd be a blast on a plane, I'm sure. Exactly. We'd have so much fun. Who's like, what? The flight's over? Darn. What happened? <laughs> I love it. Now, I also want to talk about, because it can't go on, like, untalked about, that's not even the right word, but all the work you do, you've worked with Homeland Security. You've worked with, I believe, the Coast Guard and Navy we had talked about, but you do all this, all these amazing things on the government side. They don't just let anyone in. I mean, being a former defense recruiter, you got to know someone to know someone to get your foot in the door to even be like this trusted source of information that you are. And anyone listening, Scott has a whole page worth of presentations, publications he's done. Like this man is so wildly fascinating. But how did you become this like trusted resource of cybersecurity on um, this maritime symposium and everything else you do? So I was nice. Be nice. Yeah. That's all um, it goes back to. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it does. It comes back to connections. <laughs> right. Um, for sure. Yeah. I was introduced to someone that or by someone to the person, uh, Joe Dorenzo, who runs the Maritime Risk Symposium. Okay. Um, and they wanted to bring it to a Midwest university. So I volunteered at Tiffin University and I was, it's funny, I was asked a couple of questions. They're like, well, how does a, you know, guy from Ohio that, you know, has, you know, obviously the Great Lake, you know, Lake Erie and then the right. River and the Ohio River, but how do you get involved in maritime security? And I said, I don't know. Um, I just did. So, uh, but it really, it kind of boils down to, you know, the security principles are pretty much the same. You just have to be able to adapt things. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, being adaptable is, is important. So I went to the first one in 2015, um, and then I was the vice chair for 2016, and then we brought it to uh, Tiffany University in 2017, and I was the national co-chair. I think we had, it was the largest maritime risk symposium ever, and it was dedicated entirely to cybersecurity. And as part of that, right before that, there was a book that came out called uh, Maritime Cybersecurity. I don't remember the exact title, uh, but that was okay. written by the other, or edited by the other national co-chair. and one of the other centers of excellence POCs. So, um, and then the other part that I'll say is the folks in the Coast Guard, um, from active admirals to retired admirals um, in the Air Force and Navy, 
um, Air Force, they're called generals. But I'm still friends with a lot of those folks, well, all of them that I've met um, today. Right. Just because, again, I was nice. I got the job done, you know, and I wasn't uh, needy, if you, if that makes sense. You yes. Know, I, I didn't call and ask permission for everything I was doing because I, you know, had a good handle on what needed to be done. And, you know, I went and did it. Right. So it just through those conversations, I mean, I've been to Alaska um, to do an Arctic, uh, it was like a tabletop exercise, an incident, Arctic incident of national significance. Mm -hmm. And my role there was to bring up, it's called gray zone, um, cybersecurity threats. Gray zone means they're not really anticipated threats. Right. So, you know, I come up with some scenarios uh, about what could happen if an enemy tried to leverage it. There was a ship that was um, floating or adrift, basically it's called, um, no engines. And they were sending out rescue crews. And then I got to play the enemy and say, well, you know, if we did this and this, that could disrupt the GPS and do this, that, and the other thing. And you know, all things that when you're an operator, you don't really think about that because you're focused on the mission at hand. So for sure. Yeah. So those gray zone threats to me are a lot of fun. And then the other part of it being a problem solver is, you know, I, I look at a lot of the issues in maritime cybersecurity. And for those of you that are more technical, it's both IT um, information technology and OT operational technology and navigation. So you're dealing with satellite stuff as well. So there's a huge problem set there. And that problem set just fascinated me. And so, you know, working through that problem set, I was able to meet a ton more people and actually got to write um, or draft the cybersecurity framework and risk management framework uh, for the Coast Guard through a project with uh, the University of Illinois um, for remotely movable bridges. So think draw bridges that uh, act remotely. Wow. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Oh my, it's just, again, I just, all these things you already told me when we first talked, but it's just, it's still fascinating every single time you say it again. What would you say has been, and I don't know if this is something you can talk about, but what has been your favorite project or favorite publication? I mean, just what's your favorite thing you've done so far in your career? Because I don't even know if you have an answer for that. I have 5,000 for you. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I truly enjoyed the Maritime Risk Symposium, mm -hmm. chairing that and participating in that. So I think the stuff I do in maritime cybersecurity is probably what I enjoy most, um, which is weird from, you know, a kid that grew up on a poor dirt farm in Ohio. Right. But to me, it's just fascinating. And I think I really like the sort of global impact that, you know, decisions that are made in that field can have. Mm -hmm. So you know, I think from a usefulness standpoint, that's probably the biggest one. I enjoyed uh, going up to Alaska and, you know, doing the uh, um, incident of national significance exercise. That stuff to me was, was just fascinating. So, and, it, and, you know, to sit next to, you know, generals and admirals and, and it, the interesting thing is they learn from me as much as I learn from them. Right. So I thought that was pretty, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. And the willingness that they had, you know, to be open-minded and, you know, accept different veins of thought was, was phenomenal. So. Mm -hmm. So cool. Now throughout your career, because especially we talked about this when we did your resume, you've had, I feel like you're more of this yes, per, like a respectful yes person, not saying yes to everything, getting taken advantage of yes person, but you're always open to either a conversation, always open to connecting, being nice, prayer point. But I want you really to talk about how this has opened these doors and where you're at in your career. I mean, just transferring out of academia, being a former professor, or if you're still doing this on the side too, but what does that kind of look like for you or what has it looked like so far in your career? So, yeah, I mean, I think people that meet me recognize that I'm kind of a problem solver. Mm -hmm. 
Very much. Yeah. So I think that if they want an idea, you know, about, hey, I have this problem, I'm not sure how to approach it. You know, they call me and we kind of have a discussion. And then through the discussion, I can usually come up with a couple of ways that, you know, they might want to approach it and kind of give them a, you know, if you do X, then Y is going to happen. If you do A, then B is going to happen. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you what decision you should make, but that's probably the likely consequence. Right. So by doing that, you know, again, so those people say, well, hey, I know a guy that, you know, might be able to help you. And then so I get calls from people I don't know. And then I, you know, start interacting with them. So it's important, you know, you can't be everything to everyone, certainly. But uh, if you're tactical and strategic about the people that you say yes to, you can certainly open a lot more doors that way. Mm -hmm. I also have a passion for the underdog as well. Yes. Um, so the Coast Guard is the, like, they're funded both by DOD, Department of Defense, and Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. but they're kind of like the, the stepchild of the military, so mm -hmm. to speak. Right. And it, they wouldn't say that, but I mean, that's kind of how I think <laughs> that the interview. Yes. Um, so doing stuff with them because they have limited budget, limited resources, and, you know, that kind of stuff. For sure. Was, you know, was very fulfilling. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to say yes to that kind of stuff. Sometimes I do overcommit. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, I try to work on personally. Mm -hmm. You can't say yes to everything and everybody. And the other part, too, that I've learned and I've told many students this and many people that I mentor is don't overcommit yourself. Because if you overcommit, then everything you're used to, you know, doing everything well above average or excellent. Then if you're overcommitted, everything becomes average. You're not going to be satisfied with it. And that's not who you are. So that's a great one. We need that on a T-shirt or a poster. That's a great quote. I'm going to steal that. I'm just like Forrest Gump. <laughs> you very much are. It's amazing. What advice would you give someone? I mean, cybersecurity is not going anywhere. It's only going to be increased. It's an ever-growing field. I would say one of the top fields that needs employees, needs individuals to stay long-term and more professionals like yourself. What advice would you give to someone, whether a student, military vet, someone transitioning to get into cybersecurity or best practices there? So one of the key things I think is you need to set up a home lab. Um, and there are some resources out there that, that you can do that with. Because if you set up a home lab and when you go into your interview, that you're going to get asked if you have a home lab typically. And then you can talk about, you know, what it is you set up. And that just kind of sort of breaks the ice and lets them know that you understand how technology works and you're able to set it up yourself. Um, and, you know, those things are, you know, are very important. The other thing, you know, is obviously read about the many, many different types of careers you can have in cybersecurity. I mean, you can do total forensics where you're just sitting behind a desk and using software to identify evidence uh, from machines and network captures that were brought in uh, by law enforcement or agents or business, what have you, um, all the way up to incident response where you're going on a live incident um, or doing the more strategic stuff where you're trying to prepare people, uh, you know, for instance, make sure they have policies that are, you know, compliant with whatever the regulations are. Um, and there's, you know, everything in between. So there's just a ton of stuff. I mean, there's even, I say even, it's not really even, but um, space for like HR professionals that want to switch. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they're dealing with a lot of sensitive information. And in most organizations, there's always a disconnect between provisioning IT accounts and HR. And, you know, so they have a good insight into that as well. So, yeah, I mean, the home lab thing is probably the biggest thing um, and being conversant in the language. So, you know, you just don't want to walk in and say, hey, I want to be in cybersecurity. And they go, what does that mean to you? And you go, well, um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, cyber and then security. That's what I want to do. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> That is interesting. 
Yeah. So, you know, be conversant in that home lab thing and, you know, the ex- any experience you can get to, like, like I said, volunteering, you know, for a, a not-for-profit or even, you know, asking to job shadow somebody that you know or one of your connections knows at a uh, large corporation or something that, you know, that's something that, that is done a lot. There is one other thing that I think is, is important, and I wanted to make sure I got this out. Yeah. This just made me think of it. But when you took the ACT or SAT, and I know a lot of schools aren't requiring those anymore, but there were check boxes for careers, right? So yes. you had computer engineer, uh, law enforcement professional, uh, engineer, whatever, um, nurse, doctor. Well, there's nothing on there for cybersecurity. Right. So it, recruiting students at a college for cybersecurity is difficult because, you know, it falls Typically, people lump it into computer engineering right. um, or, you know, something like that, which it's not. So one of the things that I think is is important is, um, and I've always said I would love to get in front of like the Guidance Counselor Association of Ohio, if there is one, and just speak to them about, you know, cybersecurity and, and what kind of career fields are available. Because I've got two kids that graduated and are working in cybersecurity, and one's, he's been graduated for six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he's just, you know, shy of six figures. And my daughter's been out for two and a half years and she's a- above six figures. And that doesn't include the decimal point. So. Right. Wow. That's so funny you bring that up because I'm actually working on some type of community or something together. I'm still, I'm hatching out the details actually this afternoon with my friend who's going in on it with me, but to speak to high school students, to speak to individuals of like what other career paths there were. I didn't know a resume writer existed or a career coach or anything. And it's like the same 10 careers and people, I mean, and how you're supposed to decide at 18 years old, what you want to do for the rest of your life. Like your kids are lucky. They have you to guide them be like, no, go this field. But for the people that maybe don't have the parents that went to college or don't have the parents that aren't working in like a different field and stuff like that, but it's 100% needs to happen because yeah. I get people all the time that say the same thing. They're like, I don't know what careers exist. I have no idea. So help me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I came from a, you know, a small high school and, right. you know, it was like, well, I think the guidance counselor said I should be a, she wanted me to be a, a genetic engineer Oh, um, because she thought that I had a good uh, moral fabric or something um, and could make that. Genetic yeah. engineer. And I was like, that's way too much math for me. I don't want to do that. So. <laughs> That's it. And that's it. Like per your point, what you said earlier of just you don't need to have these math classes. It's not like what everyone thinks it is. And it's the same thing. I mean, it's with any career and nobody talks about it. Nobody's getting down to the root of the problem. And we have new grads every single year that work with a ton of them that like, I don't know, this is not what I want to do. And oh, my degree is not going to make me any money. And no one ever told me that. So yeah, they don't tell you that your degree is not going to make any money. It's, you know, no, you're going to get a six-figure job out of college and everything's sunshine and rainbows and perfect. Yep, Come yep, on. absolutely. Absolutely. We have a career services you know, department and they, they place 98% of the people. Well, when you look at their definition of placement, then, you know, that means going to grad school or, you know, right. other things that aren't necessarily jobs or, you know, working mm-hmm. at Wendy's or McDonald's or whatever is considered placement too. So, right. Yeah. <sighs> statistics lie. Statistics never lie, but liars use statistics. Yeah. So that's a, so many tidbits of good quotes on this podcast. I'm loving it. Now, as we wrap up here, Scott, any other words of advice, piecing, or what is what is it? Um, last words of wisdom or anything you'd like to tell any listeners out there? Gosh, I should have had something profound to say here. Um, <laughs> You've said a lot of profound things. So I, I have this saying, it, it's better to be lucky than good. Mm-hmm. That is true, you know, most of the time. But if you can get to the good part, then 
you know, you have a lot more going for you. And the other thing I, and I told my children this is that, you know, if you strive for perfection, you can reach excellence. So that was a, yeah, that's, that's a t-shirt thing there too for you. So. We're going to come out with a new merch line. I'm hey, excited. that sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Forrest Gump look alike or not. I don't look like Forrest Gump, but um, I can talk like him though. So You can talk like him though, right? I love it. Those are uh, a couple of things. And then don't let people hold you back um, <laughs> because people will tell you you can't do something. Yes. And if you listen to people tell you you can't do something, you're never going to be fulfilled in your life. And then I'll put a plug in for a leadership book that my son and I read, and I'm yes. big, uh, big into that. It's called Extreme Ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, unfamiliar on my list to read. Yes, yeah. I mean, own your mistakes. Um, I've sat with uh, president of a university, and she asked me what happened to a project, and I said, "Well, you know, this happened." And she goes, "Well, who do I blame?" And I said, "Well, you blame me because you know she she named like five people, and I'm like, no, you blame me. I was in charge of the project. Right? So it's my fault." I said. Part of the reason I couldn't get it done is because you didn't give me the appropriate authority to get it done. But in the end, I was tasked with doing it. So it's my fault. And she was stunned when I said that. Well, and it's just honesty. Honesty is the best policy and it just gets you further in life. Be nice, be honest. And I forget your third tidbit, but you said a lot of great things, but amazing. Being funny helps too. Oh, funny. We lo- we do love humor. Yeah, because I mean, that helps, you know, that people kind of, you know, gravitate towards, you know, they think you're nicer when you're funny, I think. You know, you're not wrong there. I think you're you're onto something here. Yeah. I think so. Well, yeah. See, I love it. Well, the other part, the other one, servant leadership is another, you know, so extreme ownership and servant leadership are the two things, two sort of leadership ethos I live by. I love that. Well, Scott, it has been such a pleasure having you on this. Likewise. Thank you. For those listening, if you please comment below what you've liked best out of this episode, stay tuned for our merch line coming soon and come back next week. Thank you. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.